Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best, and what we do to be better under pressure. And that vying for my worthiness, I came fundamentally from sometimes inexperience or lack of confidence. That pressure to be seen, to be doing well, to be treated as equal was particularly difficult. And that was a different type of pressure. I felt that very deep-seated. It defined my character. Today, I'm talking to Neela Mabakta-Jones, Group General Counsel for Kantar, the world's leading data insights and consulting company. I first had the pleasure of meeting Neelima at the Courageous Leadership event, which she founded in order to fund an education project run by the charity Plan International to continue the education of disadvantaged girls in Zimbabwe, where she was born. She's a qualified barrister and was named in Cranfield University's 100 Women to Watch in 2020. In this conversation, she talks about how she navigates pressure when it feels deeply personal, the strength she gains from connecting to family legacy and sacrifice, and how the image of a lioness got her through a moment of immense pressure. I am so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you, it's a huge privilege and I can't wait to get the conversation started. We have so many good conversations. I'm sure we're going to have a really interesting one today. Maybe you could start just by telling us a little bit about just your journey, because it's fascinating in itself. You don't Um, have long enough. I I know. I will give you a very potted history. I um, was born to Indian parents in Zimbabwe, uh, grew up in Africa, came to the UK, uh, late 70s, uh, uh, early 80s, and um, a a huge cultural change from living and being brought up in Africa uh, to coming to the UK. And Uh, One of the things, greatest influences, as as most people know when they read my bio, um, is that education is a core part of that, very much so influenced by my parents who um, felt that education was your passport to the world. That was their saying. And it was the key to everything. It would unlock lots of things for you. And particularly in the psyche of parents at that time, growing up in their time period. So my parents were influenced by Gandhi. My mother met Gandhi when she was younger. She was part of his youth league, you know, and I think that the whole independence issue in, in India, the struggle there was always in their psyche, but also very acutely in Africa at the time, you know, a lot of uh, Indian Africans were aware of what happened in Uganda. So um, with the expulsion of Indians from, from Uganda by Idi Amin. And that very much sat in their survival uh, process and thought process. So two things, one was cultural, one was religious, but one was also in their environment, immediate environment. So that influenced them in the way that they brought up, their children brought us up. I have three older brothers, and that very much was... Uh, also part of shaping who I was and and my upbringing, which was always vying for my place, you know, in the family, the only girl and the youngest. So I think that 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 fighting for my place is something that I think shaped me as I grew up. So I, uh, when I came to the UK, I eventually went to university to study law. And for me, selecting law was about 
very much been influenced by the struggle, you know, the equality, the need to see equality, and when experienced, wanting to be part of the uh, change for uh, that, that Gandhi talked about, or that Nelson Mandela struggled to, to to bring about. And I think those are the things that influenced me in selecting uh, a profession where I felt I could give a voice to the voiceless, and that was largely what drove me. And it was hard. I, I selected one of the most difficult professions to go into and branches of the profession. I chose to qualify as a barrister. And for your listeners who are international, very much the UK is, is split into two. You have solicitors who are like general practitioners and you have barristers who are like consultants. And I wanted to be a court advocate, but I was also able to hide under our very traditional wig and gown that we had to wear in court in order to give me that sort of sense of status and confidence and something to hide behind. But, you know, that is a profession, that entry there was the first time I felt real prejudice. And that prejudice, Mm. rather than hold me back or make me feel bad, it redoubled my efforts to want to survive and to thrive and to make a difference because that was the prejudice that I wanted to overcome and conquer in my career so it's it's where I started it's not where I ended up I ended up in business and spent a career largely trying to navigate business and experiencing um, various levels of pressure in that and I think if I if if your first question is about where did you experience pressure yeah. Inevitably, I think most of us experience pressure in school in, in different uh, circumstances uh, around. Ex- I always felt quite, I was quite geeky. I mean, I was absolutely a very studious child. And um, so so exam pressure, I felt ready for most of that. So that wasn't pressure that I would necessarily pinpoint. I think the pressure I felt was largely family orientated. When I sat my then O-levels, um, my mother, my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother had been murdered. And it was that pressure that I felt. It was the, the fear, actually, of what would happen to my mother, um, who was going out to India to investigate, to, to actually um, lay her grandmother, her mother to rest. And I think when I look back and reflect on pressure, I often try and think about how do we define pressure? Do we define it as stress? Do we define it as overwhelmed do we define it as constraint and I think that's quite an important definition yeah and so how interesting I mean how how would you define it then for you I mean the way you've just been talking about it it seems it's quite a been quite a positive force in many many ways um particularly the exam pressure yes you were ready for it it was motivating it allowed you to sort of go into it in a way that you could succeed and then the family pressure that you're talking about felt different mm-hmm. and the word you used associated with was fear so I'm, I'm really interested in how how do you define well I suppose actually when did you experience that difference mm, that's a great question and, and it's so interesting because I think there is different pressure. I think parental pressure, uh, peer pressure, you know, is something that I I see in my children. Um, But parental pressure is really funny one. And this is a funny story. My parents were very classically Indian in the way that they thought. So growing up, all of us were told we had to we had to select a profession and you either had to be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, 
or, or a scientist, you know, in, uh, or an entrepreneur, you know, someone in business. So that was very much these personas that they, they um, drove us towards. And that was pressure. And, and at the time of the, um, the civil war in, in what was then Rhodesia, then became Zimbabwe, my parents made a decision to come to the UK, but eventually my father went back to Zimbabwe and my parents lived apart for 12 years. But the, their view was that they had to do that. One was an investment in the children's education, which is why we were in the UK, to get the best education we could possibly get and the best advantages in life. Um, whilst my father went back to secure his business again and the land that he owned, which he had worked incredibly hard to build. Mm. So there was, this, there was this classically Bollywood style, you know, we've sacrificed all these things for you kids, you better honour it. And it worked beautifully on me. I, I mean, I hook, line and sinker did that. And I used that to drive me through, you know, exams. I must do this for my parents. Look at how much they sacrificed for me. I must honor all of that. And in the end, that is pressure that got me through it. You know, that yeah. sort of, it was, it was pressure and it was emotional blackmail. You know, we did yeah. this for you kids. And it's, it's such an interesting aspect because Dr. Shefali, this, this amazing woman talks about parenting and how parents live through their children. So hence the pressure comes on their children to succeed and their parents gain, you know, glory from it, or they, they gain emotional satisfaction and happiness that their children are doing well. And, and there's a fine balance. And I had to catch myself in doing that for my children, repeating the same mistake and saying they didn't make these choices. We made them for for these children. So so I experienced that kind of pressure that drove me through. And I think the difference that I found in the work pressure was um, in the context of wanting to achieve, wanting to be seen. And I describe it as kind of vying for my worthiness. And that vying for my worthiness, I came fundamentally from sometimes inexperience or lack of confidence, that pressure to be seen, to be doing well, to be treated as equal was particularly difficult. And that was a different type of pressure. I felt that very deep seated. It defined my character. Wow. So much in there. I mean, what, what really fascinates me is how very many different people manage that sense of pressure a how they define it how they you know when does the pressure tip into unhelpful pressure or positive mm. pressure and and what you're describing there for me actually what I'm hearing is that real sense of well two things really one purpose for a broader cause mm. of actually I want to be seen not just for me but for others particularly when it comes to prejudice mm. and how what, what I'd love to know is, how did you learn what to do with that? I mean, if you could just share with us a particular experience, maybe even a, uh, you talked about prejudice, but in your mm. journey through being becoming a lawyer, you mm. know, just pick out a moment when you realised you could actually manage that pressure and tip it into something that actually was going to allow you to, to have that voice that you're talking about. What yeah. did you do? I, it's really interesting because at the end of the day, I think as, as we've discussed before, we're all, we're all shaped by our upbringing. So my influences of civil rights activists, my influences from the Gandhi movement, from the struggle in South Africa, our neighbors with Nelson Mandela, the civil rights movement in the US, I was hooked into that. And that struggle, but those inspiring leaders, what they achieved against all odds, 
was just inspiring to me. And that I kept that in my psyche. It was mm. in my upbringing, but it was in my psyche. But my own parents struggle. They, in their own ways, were pioneers. And I, and I think that was that immediacy of struggle and overcoming it was shaped and in my DNA. So, so I think that I never realized there was an alternative to hard work, to, to struggle, to survival, to getting over it. And, and I think in the end, it, that was that singular purpose is what drove me through it. But at all times, I thought good, bad and ugly. These were lessons that I needed to learn in life. And um, in the workplace, when I recall distinctly having a situation where I was addicted to work, you know, 100% working all the time. And sometimes to the detriment of my children, you know, not spending time with my children, um, but still wanting that place. And I think that struggle was a struggle about identity and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to be known for and, and understanding that I was putting all of this to good use. So, so I had to, I think the biggest lesson that I had was this lesson from the universe, um, which was that my, my parents died within three months of each other. And the loss of my mother was a big, emotional, um, powerful blow to me. And I think it took that to smack me out of this addiction to work, just to, to give me a, another perspective. And at the time, I was being coached by this fantastic lady called Tess Cope, who also gave me some work that she does beautifully with her horses and its equine therapy. And we were we were constellating, we were working out what my purpose was. And she she said to me, what message are you receiving from this constellation? And I said to her, I think that the horse is struggling to get out of the constellation that I put in. And she said, well, don't you think you've confined yourself too small? Your purpose is greater than the one that you've built. And that opened my eyes up to the fact that I was playing small and I was not serving the world or myself by playing small. And I think in, in reality, understanding pressure is also conversely understanding joy and understanding place and identity. And I think that Striving for that joy is the way to counter the pressure and utilizing the pressure to focus on the things that bring you joy, but the things that make a difference to yourself and those you love and to the planet. Yeah. And you see, that's that's so hard, isn't it, to understand how to tap into that. So, you know, I hear a lot. And I ask myself, you know, that whole evolving purpose and, you know, the power of purpose and why we're here and, you know, uh, that there seem to be many different ways people tap into that mm. and it felt like you had tapped up into it up to a certain point and then this example you're sharing suddenly it can be bigger than that mm. <laughs> or wider than that um and it, it's interesting what you're saying because when we when we did some work with um some year 11 girls in a state comprehensive pre-covid actually to enable them to find ways or practices to be better under pressure particularly around exams and there was a huge percentage of um, different nationalities within the school and different um, attitudes to exams and the usefulness of exams, et cetera. Um, but one of the key motivators for those girls, it was a girls' school, 
was I'm doing this for my mother or I'm doing this for my grandmother or I'm doing this for my great grandmother who is still over in another country. Um, I'm representing them. And it was a real force for good for them mm. and allowed them to um, experience a discomfort, i.e. the pressure of exams for a greater good. And that's what I'm sort of hearing from what you're sharing. And also that the, there comes a point when even that, when you lose your mother, there's another opportunity to tap into, okay, so what else is what I'm hearing from your story? And for people that, that are listening and also people, conversations that I've had with people, this, this notion of, well, how do you tap into the universe? What does that mean? How do I do that? How, how do you do that? How do you connect to that? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and you know, it, it sounds, it can sound in isolation quite airy-fairy. It sounds, yeah. but I think it, it, it's at the core of who we are. And I think in the end, I tapped into it by working with incredible people who, who started with, you know, the soul, started with who you are at your core. And I never sat still um, long enough. I mean, you know, mm. you will, if you talk to my husband and the kids, they'll get, mommy, sit down, just take some rest, you know, stop faffing about or doing stuff, you know, just sit down and watch a movie. And then, and I, and I don't, and sitting still for me is hard. I think mm. it's forcing ourselves to be still. It is when these, the, these things arise for us, that's when it arises. That's when we can quiet our minds and allow the messages, whether it's within, from within our soul or from within the universe, that it comes to us and properly grounding ourselves. I can so relate to what Neelama is talking about here. The quest to quiet in a busy, pressurising mind, resisting the seduction to carry on and powering through. And isn't it interesting too, that it's often when people we care about point this out to us that it suddenly resonates as important. And for her, it was her children. She uses the phrase connecting to the universe to describe the way she quietens her mind. I can relate to that too. It's helped me to identify an important difference between slowing down and actually being still. Whether the phrase universe resonates or not, Having ways to be still and genuinely stopping to listen inwards can make a difference. This still time becomes nourishment and can help us choose how we want to be rather than to be bossed by the noise of pressure. This still time, stepping away time, is becoming increasingly important to many people I talk to. Some literally take themselves away for a few days to be offline, maybe to a space that is meaningful to them. This may not be possible for you, but what would be? It could be taking 15 minutes sitting in a park or on your sofa, spending time to just be. We are capable of so much as human beings. And I think that it we renee on our purpose if we don't lean in to fully grasp our full potential. And that's tough when you're working in corporations. It's tough when you're working um, in, you know, uh, you've got a lot of responsibility at home. It's tough for all of the reasons that we have and how the uncertainty of, of the environment in which we're living, particularly now, puts, mm. puts a lot of, um, I, so, I suppose it pulls us into a different direction if we're not careful. So, yeah. so how have you, I mean, from somebody who never sat still, for somebody who worked very hard, who someone, from somebody who came from a background where actually effort and work was what was really commended, mm. how have you learned to take that pause? Um, and what do you do I mean, we haven't talked about you and your team yet and, and, and how you operate in an organisation that is 
pretty full on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so how, how have you learned to do that? What What was the first step that you took to to honour that? I think that I think it was a. It's over time. I don't think it it came to me immediately. I think that there are many things that we need to do to nourish ourselves and our soul, and that is some very simple things. The the understanding of um, us and our and what we need and what our needs are. So, good sleep foundationally. Uh, is so important as soon as that's disrupted that can impact your psyche how you feel your motivation your confidence exercise those really simple fundamental things so all of those things are things that I've learned over time to help nourish me and put me put the best version of me forward but I think that with my team and within, within a corporation it didn't matter to me in circumstances where I would talk about how important people were. It didn't matter that my boss, and I've had many who just didn't understand why I thought we had to put people first, that we had to invest in people, we had to invest in relationships. And I remember having a conversation with someone uh, who said to me, why do you care so much about people, Neelama? And I said, because at the end of the day, you know, everyone brings their whole selves to work and understanding them, understanding what motivates them is going to make a big difference to their overall performance but we spend so much time in work we should understand our people because in the end those are the things that help us to understand their triggers that sends them into a spiral or the things that help them grow and flourish and that as a leader that's my responsibility I am in service of them it's my responsibility to create an environment where they flourish and grow. I think your point about creating a pause is so vital and 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 increasingly tough. Mm. Um, and I I I'm curious as to how you create pauses. A for yourself in an organisation that mm. possibly doesn't pause very very easily, and also how do you instill that in your team? What what do you do? Um, so. We on that we've spent the last ten months of this job that I've been in talking about well-being on a regular basis. So it must be a regular, repeated conversation that you're having with your team, especially when we're working remotely, and especially when you have two, you know, new members joining in a remote scenario, being onboarded yeah. in a remote scenario, because. Trying to create human connection in this remote way is hard yep. and it can feel lonely when you're starting. So I think we what we did was create re regular stand-ups and on a Thursday morning we would do walk and talk. So we would go out into nature, we'd be on audio and we'd be talking about things that we were doing to help our well-being. So just so simple things take away from the screen, get out, get fresh air. Those, those are my team members who have dogs, for example, talk about mm -hmm. enforced rest. You know, we, mm -hmm. that's the rest that we get by getting out, getting fresh air, having to walk the dog. And it's rejuvenating for them. It really helps them to be away from it. And, um, and, and being silly. I mean, sometimes, you know, having laughter is a fantastic mm -hmm. cure to stress and pressure and having a sense of humor and I think there's little things that we can do being and having we had a mental health facilitator come into to talk to us about mental health and good mental health, what that actually meant and practices such as creating focus time. And, and I've now positively made a change to my Mondays and Fridays to try and clear them of meetings. Yeah. And yes, compact them during the week, but try and clear space and time yeah. for self. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. And it's and when therefore do you feel pressure now? When do you recognize that feeling of pressure tipping into something that is not useful for you as opposed to useful? Um so I think it's it again, I think the pattern in my life is that it's largely personal and largely family related right. or um associated with um with my well-being so i i injured my shoulder so i replaced in in the pandemic the the commute time by uh doing some exercises on peloton so i do 20 minutes yoga and 20 minutes hit class so injury has meant that i can't do that yeah and and i allowed myself to fall into a pattern of not doing it and suddenly not feeling the best yeah. version of myself and and it can be something as simple as that that sends me off into feeling pressure yes. and pressure of not doing enough, not conquering the things. Mm. And I think that that pressure is suddenly I lose control of my diary. I lose control of my priorities. I'm not thinking straight. I'm not doing what I should do. And actually, it goes directly to the way in which you ask that question. What do you do for yourself? And, and it, it is not selfish to do no take time out and people just don't don't think that way yeah 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 so you're you've been really deliberate about that in terms of managing your own pressure you just described what happens when you don't the spiral is in is incredibly fast yeah and it's that it's that overwhelm you know the minute you feel overwhelmed you become emotional and you lose control and it's that loss of control that sends that spiral and increases the pressure and it, it makes you unproductive because you're spending longer hours mm. trying to do these things versus being more productive and focused on trying to get that task done. And the hours get later and it spirals out of control. It disrupts your pattern, disrupts your sleep. You eat late. You don't see the kids. You don't get the warmth of your family feeling. You don't do any of those things. All those things nourish to make you better and frankly, more productive and, and just a decent human being to yourself and to others and would you say that the people that you're working around not your team but the people well yes you because you've got many teams haven't you mm. in where you work but do you when you find yourself around people who are responding to pressure differently yeah what do you do in that circumstance in that environment I try and find out what the driver is. And it's really interesting because sometimes the driver is something you wouldn't expect. More recently, what I've noticed is that the driver is fear, fundamentally fear. Of? It's, it's, it can be fear of not, not performing, not being seen, yeah. not being seen as good enough. That, that whole uh, issue around I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to work in this way. And it's it turns out to be unproductive or it manifests in behavior, a certain type of behavior that's negative. Um, and it's driven by fear. It's driven by lack of confidence. And sometimes the drivers is the self pressure, the pressure that you put on yourself mm -hmm. that makes it worse. And so understanding the driver, taking time out. And I, when I'm in the office with my team members, I make a point of having a walk and talk with them away from the office. I think having the fresh air and walking and talking and taking them away and, and actually sometimes not talking about work, just saying, how are mm. you? Mm. you know, how are things? Um, helps someone to just feel seen and heard. And that's so critical because yeah. 
even the most fantastic professionals can feel lonely and not seen and not heard and not understood. So I think, again, human connection is important, understanding the human beings, understanding the drivers. And then sometimes it's also saying, you know what, let it fall, let it fall. We'll find a way, let's find a different way of doing that. What's the alternative? How can help? What does help look like? Let me help you figure this out. And that isn't about taking away their work and doing it myself. I think it's about co-creating a solution together. It's about potentially inviting someone else in. I have a fantastic legal ops director and, and everyone just loves it when he comes in because suddenly they've got a different lens on how they could solve a problem. Yeah. And it's those tools. I think it's that human connection. It's about lending yourself to trying to solve a problem together, but creating the time to do that. Yeah. So that's a, a, a good way into the, the, the question that I'm asking all the guests that I speak to. And that is, if, if there's somebody listening to this who wants to be better under pressure, um, what would be your two carry forwards pieces of advice? What would be your first piece of advice on that? Oh, <laughs> these are always really tough questions. I'm wrestling with this one. Um, for most of us, we want a true sense of belonging, an environment where we feel a true sense of belonging, where we feel seen, heard. And pressure can often come is an extraneous thing, can be an extraneous thing. So having a really good relationship with the people around you and your boss is really important. And one of the things that I find de-stresses me massively is having a really positive, good relationship with my boss who has my back and I have his back. So that safe environment, that psychologically safe environment is really important, I think, fundamentally to making us feel less pressured. It means that we are valued and we are seen as valued. So I think that environment in which we work and the environment that we create as leaders, so if you're in a position as a manager, as a boss, or as a leader, I think creating that environment and openly talking about it is, is just as important. It pays dividends back to you. I think the second point would be actually just taking care of yourself and, uh, you know, that self, whether that's good nourishment, that's good sleep, which is a core foundation for all of us, a little bit of exercise, taking time to breathe, just the box breathing is, mm. is so helpful. And even if that is not within your practice, just walking around the block, that 10 minute away in outdoors, fresh air, sunshine has a fantastic impact on us. Yeah. The other thing I've recently done, and I know we don't do this a, a lot, but I try, I try and take a bath now. And I've mm. found it really helpful for my shoulder to recover and to de-stress and to sleep really well. So, uh, so rather than do Wim Hof's, go and freeze your butt off outside, <laughs> I choose the warm bath, listening to the art of living, Zen art of living, and, and simply just, just trying to relax and, and permitting myself to do so and saying, I, I deserve it. Yeah, and I think what you're, what you're highlighting here is this sense of experiment, you know, and what works for one is, gonna, is not necessarily going to work for somebody else, but actually at least be, I love the phrase, scientist on your own behavior, you know, just keep mm. exploring and thinking, okay, what can I do that actually incrementally shifts that sense of pressure into a more positive um, feeling of agency? 
Yes, really, absolutely. as well. And, and we can't therefore blame anyone else for it. You know, I think it's no. too easy. It's like it's it's everyone else's fault. But actually owning our own well-being and nourishment and, you know, exercise uh, in the end will pay benefits to everyone around us. We're, we're less, you know, we're less grumpy as a result. You know, yeah, and I think also you're talking about it's not necessarily reducing the pressure. It's responding to the pressure differently, which mm. I think is, is helpful about, about this whole experiment, putting yourself right at the heart of it. What is the worst moment of pressure you've ever been under? Ah, uh, um, I would say uh, uh, coming out of my first startup was probably the worst and worst because I, I was very emotional about it. Um, I put too much into it, too much emotional um, angst into it, too much had been sacrificed to go into it. Uh, to do it and even though I was mentally proud of of what we achieved and and what I did and my role in it um, coming out of it felt deeply personal and in the end that was the problem I had I had connected a very much a very personal self-esteem um, viewpoint and everything I'd given up to put it to go into it was all bound up in there and I lost I lost my perspective but the choice that I made um, of coming out of it was to really stand and in my core values and that helped me to navigate through it so again I think quite often my worst experiences of pressure are often emotive mm. per, deeply personal mm. um, and deep relate very much deeply to protecting family protecting those around me and I had interpreted quite a lot of what happened as a an attack on that and I think instinctively as parents instinctively as individuals the one thing that we will always rise up to do is to protect um, our families to protect our young ones and and I I had to had a very interesting experience at the time and it was a it's to visualize a lioness and to be brave to be courageous but also to project um, at the time, kindness and compassion, kindness and compassion. So there's a real balance in how to navigate pressure that feels deeply personal. Um, yes. And I balance that out with courage and kindness and compassion. So they're the two things that uh, was a mantra for me navigating through that time. What was the actual, I'm interested in this, what was the actual mantra that you used there? So there were two things. Um, I had I felt like I was under attack and therefore right. I had to visualize courage okay. and and the visual image that came to me was a lioness okay and it and there were nudges of this in the universe interesting nudge it sounds it sounds wacky I know but there were things that had arisen someone had taken a photograph of my daughter and I in front of a fire and behind it was a shadow that looked just like a lioness and those around me had said, that's coming from something deep in, in, in your background, in, in either your religion. So there are goddesses in the Hindu religion that ride on tigers and lionesses. Um, or this is a, your mother sending a signal to be brave. Mm. And so, you know, whatever you need to take to, to, to find courage, you have to find courage. So I, I looked for courage. 
And then in the end, also, I had looked for kindness and compassion. So I sat on the farm of some very close friends, again, where I was close to nature, and I sat close to the horses, and I sat and I and I put out kindness and compassion, kindness and compassion, because however this the scenario was arising, whatever was happening, I still wished for kindness and compassion. And that was the mantra I told myself, you know, to put out into the universe. If I can put out into the universe kindness and compassion, that will only come back in some form or another. And I do believe what, what you put out in the universe will come back to you. So yeah, what goes around comes around. And that's that's probably the hardest lessons, but it is what I had to do in that moment of greatest pressure. That's um so uh honest thank you I think I think it's such that's so useful um to understand how you move from really hard pressure but bank what it is that you you know so you know you've got this what sounds like a really positive tension for you which Mm. is the sort of riding on the back of a lion or a tiger with with compassion and kindness and and what I know of you that 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 combination is very much alive Um, in how you face anything, actually. I'm intrigued by the practice Neelima is describing here of turning pressure that she experienced as deeply personal into courage. She found an environment that was nourishing, in this case being outside and close to horses. She drew up a mantra that she could repeat, courage, kindness and compassion. She visualised the courage. For her, this was a lioness, The idea of creating a visual symbol that can support you through the pressure you're under can be very powerful, all the more so because it is so personal. In my view, this practice is just not talked about enough, which is perhaps why Neelima also refers to it as a bit wacky. It reminds me of an inspiring leader I once witnessed, starting an exec meeting during a very challenging time for the business with the statement, because we need to hold our nerve right now, let's just share how we all do that. It really shifted the collective conviction. I think it's also been very helpful listening to you in terms of what might have then evolved into Courageous Leaders event. And would you want to just talk about what what motivated you to actually produce this movement? (laughs) Well, Courageous Leaders was very much in honour of my mother and her journey and everything that she had achieved. And she had achieved, my God, quite a lot. And and it is in her death that she taught me so much more about courageous leadership because of the stories that I heard of what she had done uh, was quite inspiring. But it it just culminated in the what am I on this planet to do? And and the heart of it is that I want leaders to find the courage in themselves to be better leaders, to do good in this world and to be a force for good, because it can have these amazing impact network effect. And, and concentric circles, it can impact people so positively in the same way that a poor leader can have such a negative impact, not only on the, their team, but their team's lives and, and those around them. And so, so I devised courageous leaders to find inspiring leaders, to inspire leaders, to find the courage in themselves, to be a force for good. And by attending the event, I created this virtual circle of purpose so that the leader can feel that their fee of their fee goes towards an education project to help disadvantaged girls 
in Zimbabwe to continue their education. And this is in partnership with Plan International. And what I wanted leaders to feel is that actually just by turning up, investing in themselves for the day to be inspired, they can also immediately help girls in the future um, you know, to, to be leaders themselves by helping them to complete their education. And so many people came to the event. The profile is in their personal capacity. They didn't come in a corporate capacity. And I think giving up time for yourself to invest in yourself was is one of the things that I'm most proud of, that they came because they wanted to come for themselves and to do to ultimately be these courageous leaders. And I I think that's that's my version of the call to courage, really. Yeah. And and it sort of combines the idea of fear into courage. And then pressure is manageable in whatever shape it might arrive. Yes. Before we close, do you believe that we are better under pressure? I think so. I I think we are in reality. If we look differently to, oh, let me think that's an, I think it depends on the circumstances. I think, I think we're in the work environment when we need to get something done, it helps focus our brains. I think it goes back to the way you talk about the brain, you know, what, what, what does it fundamentally relate to? Well, as human beings, the fight and flight. And I think the fight piece, the flight piece is all about the pressure and the tension that it brings. So I think we are, I think it's, it's, it's in our DNA. It's, it's how we evolved as human beings. We responded to the pressure of environment, responded to the pressure to be fed and to survive and to find water and shelter. All of these were pressures that forced us to be good. And, and today in this, this, this world today, we use that for innovation. We're using that for, um, you know, to bring about change, immediate change. So I think it is a, a force for good. I think used properly, it's a force for good. Um, yes. We need yes. to find the converse and the opposite. As, it, as you know, scientists talk about the equal and opposite pressure and velocity is yes. that the opposite of that is stillness and peace of mind and well-being. Marvellous. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. I have no idea where this conversation was going to go. (laughs) But that's the joy of these conversations, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Crikey. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Huge privilege to be invited. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.